everybody. This is pop culture critic John Tatey welcoming you back to Pop Mom, the podcast where culture is relative. Yes, it's time again for my mom, Bonnie Tatey, to share her view of pop culture, small town life, and the riddles of human nature. On this episode, mom reviews the HBO dramedy series, Barry. Let's bring mom in now. Hi, mom. Hi, John. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? Ooh, excellent. I don't think I can top that. Sorry. Mm. Uh, what have you got for Well, me? let's talk about the weather for a second. Okay. It snowed here twice this week. Oh, boy. Yeah, very depressing. It's all gone now. We just have our snow plow piles left mm-hmm. in the yard. Uh, so, And the sun is out today, so that is very good. But, wow, it is really depressing when you are in spring mood to have snow. Absolutely. We had like a 70-degree day here on Monday, and then the next day was like 35. Uh, mm. So it was a big swing. But let's uh, can we explain to the people uh, what snowplow piles are, right? Because you, you yes. go through the winter in uh, rural New England, and you, you, everybody has a guy, or they do it themselves, a few people, I guess, who comes and plows their driveway and what have you. And so you get these huge mounds of snow that build up through the winter, and then you can tell spring is beginning when these mounds shrink, and they just they accumulate brown. I guess is how I'll put it. Like they just become these lumps of dirt and leaves and snow. That's when you know it's time for spring. That's right. And what we call here mud season. Mud season. That's right. They put up signs on the roads, frost heaves, Mm -hmm. which are like speed bumps. Is that, or what are, what are the things called on your street? Potholes. No, (laughs) no, you, (laughs) <laughs> you have big, you have big yeah, logs, speed bumps. Yeah, right? that's what they're called. Some people call speed them bump. speed humps. Speed hump, okay. Yeah, a frost heave is the natural uh, speed bump. <laughs> Basically, yes, right? That's right. But it gives something for the um, transportation department to do two days a year, put those signs up, take those signs that's right. down. Uh, Frost heaves, we should also tell people, are, uh, I don't entirely understand the mechanism, but I guess water seeps under the road and then freezes up again, and the ice pushes the road bed up. And and for the first year we were here, I remember saying, what's a frost heave? What the heck is that? (laughs) Because, you know, we came from Philly, where the streets are just absolute nonsense, and you know, okay, there's a bump now, so what? I've never heard the term frost heave outside of New Hampshire. Oh, really? I think it's a I think it's at best a New England thing, but Okay. Well, this has been a history of frost heaves. Two idiots history of frost heaves for you. <laughs> yes. And if you're ever, you know, feeling a bit of insomnia, feel free to play that one over a few times. Yeah. So I understand you made a trip to the dentist recently. How'd that I go? I did. Uh, well, I do have one small cavity that needs some attention, but he, here is what I really want to know. Yeah. From you. Oh, okay. At my dentist, when you're, well, I have several questions, but let me start with this one. That usually when I go in, she does a little bit of scraping, then she does the polishing, 
the the hygienist, and Dad hates the polishing part. I hate the scraping part. Mm. My hygienist hates the scraping part. Oh, that's nice to know. Yeah, it is. I I wanted to get her in on this. And uh, so what part do you not like? Well, I don't like any of it. Well, you have to dislike one part of it more than the other. The polishing part is when they have that little hard rubber circle that spins around yes. with the, okay. With the abrasive. You're talking to someone who went 10 years without going to the dentist. Yes, I know. Lucky you. Well, it's, it's more the years of painful orthodontic work that um, have instilled in me a lifelong hatred of the dentist. Not that I'm unique in hating the dentist, but I hated it enough that I didn't go for... 10 years, so just even talking about any of it just um, makes me a little weak in the knees. I'll go with scraping, though. I mean, yeah. clearly. Yeah. And then I got tricked into having x-rays. Which, oh, uh, they always want to take yeah. x-rays. You know, Mom, I, got, I, I have to go to the dentist. I'm glad you brought this up because I do have to make an appointment at the dentist. But I last went a year ago, and I have been going every six months for a while. I went yeah. a year ago, and you know, they said, "Have you been having any jaw pain?" And stupidly, I said, "Well, once in a while, you know, my jaw's a little sore." Oh, and they were just geez. immediately like, "Up, oh, we got to get you a night guard." Now, mom, I'm going to confess this to the listeners. It's one of my most embarrassing moments as an adult. But I just got swept up in this. You got to have a night guard thing. So I paid six hundred dollars for this stupid appliance that I never use just because I was so like I just was in I go into the dentist office and I'm not myself I'm easily intimidated and I just am looking to get out of there so whatever they say and I think they know this right I think it's part of the business model well they, they don't realize they don't realize see when I went to my dentist the first four or five visits I announced to everybody that this this was second on my list after hell that I did not want to be there. I hated having anything done in my mouth and could they please make it as fast as they could. So now when I go in, they like to say, Oh, are you happy to be here? And I am very happy to say, no, I hate this place. I think you people are all masochistic and I, I hate coming here to the dentist. And you know what they do? They laugh. They think that's so funny. And I am just dead serious. I hate the dentist. All right, but let's not personalize it. I don't hate the dentist, although I do No, have, I don't either. I don't either. I, I have some disdain for the dentist at this particular office I'm talking about because I feel like they kind of swindled me. Um, well, I'm going to make you feel better in a minute. Oh, Yeah. Because yeah. well, I hope so. Because that was a big chunk of change, Mom. That I felt like I yes. just spent on on nothing. So you yeah. you've done worse than that. Well, I you know that's Chicago. That's Chicago prices. But I went in <laughs> last last year and a half ago, and also got sucked into mm. a night guard. But when they took the impression, it pushed one of the teeth. <gasps> apart, yeah, from another one, which I didn't think anything of until I got the night guard, yep. and every time I wore it, it separated that tooth <sighs> again. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. 
So it never fit properly, and that cost $400. Okay. Sounds like you had a similar experience to me. Yep. But here's, here's, here's another question. Now, at the end of it, you know, to make you feel like your time was well spent, they open their magic drawer and offer you a, a new toothbrush yeah. and toothpaste. Mm-hmm. I always take two toothbrushes because I sometimes like to just do a quick brush in the bathroom, and I always replace my toothbrush when I come out to see you. So mm-hmm. I, when I get out there, I throw the old toothbrush away and use the new one from the, from the dentist. But this time they offered four kinds of toothpaste. Wow. So Four flavors, you mean? No, four types. One was whitening, one was enamel strength, one was bubblegum flavor, and I forget what the other one was. Uh-huh. Maybe just regular toothpaste. I don't know. Do they make that anymore? No, no. Um, it's all got to be triple action at the very least. Yeah. So I thought, oh, which one should I take? And I just said to her, you know, I'm just going to take one of everything because I don't really know what I want here. And were they okay with that? They didn't seem to bat an eye at it. I, I'm sure they've got plenty of toothpaste at the dentist office. Well, they do, but I'm sure it's just, you know, it's sort of like, you know, a little like courtesy soap in your hotel room. I don't know. So how much do you take when you go? Do they offer you that when you go? Yeah, I mean, they just offer me a little plastic bag with one toothpaste in it. It sounds to me like the people at your dentist office kind of have the same attitude as you insofar as they're looking to get you out of there as fast as they can, too. <laughs> sure, take as many toothbrushes as you want, lady. I know. Well, listen, I'm going to tell you. Yeah. I said, I said <clears throat> when the doctor came in to look at my teeth, I said, you know, I don't really appreciate that Karen tricked me into getting x-rays, and he he just kind of snickered and whatever, and then he started poking with that pokey thing he has. And I said, okay, that's enough poking. And he said, heard. That's all he said to me. But then when we were all done, he said, you know, do, would you and John like to come over for dinner sometime? Ah. <laughs> So apparently, John is Mike is, is is so people don't get confused. They're talking about my father, who's also named John. Yes, yes. So I don't think I don't know if they think I'm doing some shtick when I'm in there, <laughs> telling them how much I dislike this whole process. And because I said after all that, then the dentist invites you over for dinner. They must think you're just being funny, and I'm not. Well, <laughs> I think that. In the same vein in which I said don't personalize it, they are not taking it personally. I mean, I think the dentist knows that people don't like to go to the dentist. What a profession. I mean, all right, the dentist, I can see, you know, he makes some money, but what are those hygienists pulling in? Well, it's it's, it's a job. I don't think we need to question people's livelihood. I think that the point is that uh, they seem to have a good sense of humor about themselves. Uh, Hey, you know what's awful is brushing a toddler's teeth. Oh, I can't even imagine. It, I can't even imagine. Thank God we had fluoride drops to to give you people, because who cared if you brushed your teeth then? <laughs> I'm kidding. That's a joke. 
Yeah, it's a pain. But Leo did recently have his first dentist appointment and uh, just was totally fine for the whole thing. He's a better man than his father, and I'm super proud of him. Well, he did do a very good job. I saw, I saw some pictures of it, but of course, you know, they didn't run the drill. You know, that's the one thing I really don't like. Are you uh, diminishing Leo's accomplishment here, Mom? Boy, you've really got it out for him lately, don't you? Well, you know, he started it. He kind of started this. You won't. So I was. You still won't apologize him for uh, blaming and forgiving your cold that he didn't give you. I am not apologizing for that. Okay. Well, I'm going to start a new segment here. I'm going to start a new segment here on the podcast. It's called um, Stories About Mom, and I'm going to tell an embarrassing story about you. Uh, every week until you apologize to my son. How's that? All right. Well, I, I have I have embarrassing stories about you. No, no, that's not how this is going to work. Well, I don't like this. So this is. Is the... there embarrassing stories about me? I can't even imagine that there would be. Well, this is the story of the time uh, Johnny. We don't only... need to really do this. I'm sorry, Leo. Okay, because I was going to tell the half a brain story. Do you want me to tell that one? <laughs> Everybody would be on my side. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yes, by all means, tell that story. Okay, okay. Well, thank you for apologizing. It was very sweet and heartfelt, and I will pass that along to Leonardo. However, I will tell the story. <clears throat> And people should know what I'm apologizing for is getting a very fierce, bad cold after I was there last, the two times ago when Leo had a runny nose the whole time I was there. Uh huh. Well, I think people who listen to the podcast know the story by now that this cold is completely made up by you. So let me tell the story, Um, which is. Uh, I was in middle school, maybe between seventh and eighth grade. It was summer, and um, I was getting math tutoring because I advanced. I had advanced too far beyond, I guess, the math offerings um, that they had there. So I was, well, I was sort of being pushed ahead to high school at that point. Is that right, Mom? Right. Okay. Yeah, just so, for math. Just for math, right? So. Um, what happened in my eighth grade year is I would go to middle school for most of the day, and then I would be bussed, just me, on this one full-size bus over to the high school where I would then take <laughs> math class. But in preparation for this, you know, I was good at math as a kid, right? Um, so in preparation for this, um, a very sweet math teacher who had taught me uh, and was very kind to me over the years, Mrs. King, uh, Janine King, would teach me weekly sessions on geometry, basically to catch me up to the high school curriculum. So that you could go on to the high school the next year for the math. So every week, mom would drive me up to the middle school, about a 15-minute drive from home, and where uh, I worked, where she, where you worked, mom would drive, mom would drive me up to the middle school each week where she worked. Uh, and I would have a little tutoring session. Well, one day we get to the middle school and innocent mistake. Any kid could do this. I've got a lot on my mind. It's summertime. Maybe my thoughts were elsewhere. I forgot my geometry And you're only book. coming up to school for this one class. Okay, well, I forgot my geometry book is, is that. And uh, so sheepishly, 
you know, mom's pulling into the middle school parking lot right now. I could have realized this at any earlier point in the trip, but I just didn't. Again, innocent mistake. And so I inform mom, I say, dearest mother, I'm afraid that I have forgotten my geometry book. And I'm so sorry to inconvenience you this way. Oh it was God, truly thoughtless no of me. Thing. But I did forget my book, and we must go back and retrieve it now, dear mother. <laughs> and mom turned to me with a snarl on her face and said to me, I swear, if you only had half a brain. And then put the car in drive and drove out of there. And I was so shocked by this insult. And I've only grown to love it more over the years, considering that the context was that I was like going to math genius class. (laughs) If you only had half a brain. And it's the only thing you were coming for. (laughs) So... This is a picture of the cruelty I had to deal with as a child. Oh, it's so, it's so inhumane. It's harrowing. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe you have held this so close <laughs> to your heart for all these yeah. years. I'll never really? forget. Mm, truly a heartbreaking Let moment. it go. Yeah. When can we put this one to bed? We'll see. I'm done reflecting on it. Okay. Well, next week we'll talk about the time mom had a talk with my Spanish teacher. Uh, That'll be good. (laughs) People want to hear that story. Yeah, I bet they do. All right, I'll tell that sometime. But for now, we have to move along. We're going to talk about Barry. Are you ready to talk about Barry, Mom? Oh, yes, I am. Okay. Now in its second season on HBO, Barry stars Bill Hader in a typical L.A. story. Barry Block takes up residence in Hollywood to pursue an acting career with hopes of escaping his soul-draining day job. The atypical part is that Barry's day job is to kill people, and he's quite good at it. As we watch the almost childlike Barry grope his way toward a new existence that he can't even quite envision yet, he struggles to balance the emotional honesty of his acting pursuits with the grim secrecy demanded by his darker enterprises. Here's a clip in which Noho Hank, a somewhat daffy Chechen mobster, and one of my favorite characters on the show, asks Barry not only to kill a rival, but also to retrieve the bullet after the deed is done. You want me to get the bullet out of her head? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, I don't know how I do that. That's not how bullets work. Okay. Um, Dummy's version. What if you shoot her with a thick book behind her? It'll go through her head, get stuck in book, you open up book, take out no, bullet, simple. No, it's not. It's so I, simple. I, so what you're saying is I need to get her to read a really thick book, and then while she's reading it, shoot her in the back of okay. the head. Is that okay, yes, okay, okay, yeah. What I'm saying. I see what it you're saying, that's really a hat on the hat. Work. So, right. Regardless, everyone has to know this is job done by Kang. So come on, take it. Why evil? Am I like, am I like, like an evil person? Oh my god. I mean, absolutely. Do I not tell you that enough? You are like the most evil guy I know, man. You know, I take no pleasure in killing people. You know that, right? Man, all this talking has made me hungry. You know what I could really go for? Yoshinoya beef ball. 
New episodes of Barry premiere on HBO Sunday nights. Consult your local listings. Mom, do you think this is a Barry good show or do you come to Barry it? <laughs> I think it's somewhere in the middle. Okay. For, for several reasons. I think it's not a good show to binge watch. Oh, uh, that's interesting, which you did, I guess, to catch up. You did I not did. watch the first season of this as it was airing. No, I watched it all in one fell swoop. Okay. okay. Um, and it's a bit much all for, you know, mm. to watch all at once. I think it's um, better served in small servings for this reason. It's a little absurd. <laughs> yes. I think you can I think you can take a little bit of that at a time. Not not a little bit. I don't mean a little bit. I think you can watch one or two episodes. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, taken all at once, it doesn't gel very well, I don't think. Hmm. You don't, I don't think you enjoy it as much. You know, I love Bill Hader. I think he's probably as odd as the characters that he plays <laughs> in real life. Yeah. But, but for me, this show has two sections. The killing part, right. which, you know, puts money in his pocket, and the acting <laughs> class. One of my first notes that I made when I started writing this down was that I thought it was going to be more like Fargo. I thought it was going to be Ah. more clever isn't quite the right word, but I thought it would be deeper. Well, Fargo constructs these Baroque scenarios uh, where the different plot lines just interweave with each other. Uh, And Barry is pretty singular. Uh, It bounces, as you um, expressed it bounces between two main venues. It's uh, the acting class that Barry is taking with uh, Henry Winkler, uh, plays the teacher quite wonderfully, I think. And, I think so too. And then there's his sort of murder world. Um, he has this handler played by Stephen Root, who just has a talent for playing these rundown bad guys. He just he's the right guy to play this. He, he really this, is. And likable at the same time. Weirdly likable. Yes, yeah. I agree. And uh, <laughs> But just uh, perfect for this role of a guy who spends a lot of time waiting, for, waiting to hear back about murders in a motel room, right? Like you can tell. Right. Oh, anyway, Stephen Root's great. But these are the two venues, the acting class and the murders. And Barry is just desperately trying to escape the latter and build a new life for himself. Again, he doesn't really know how. In, with acting. Right. And, and uh, it should also be said that he is a returning soldier. Yes. So he has some issues. He's a former Marine. And yeah, I mean, the show, he's a suffering from PTSD, although it manifests itself in um, more curious ways than you might be accustomed to seeing in a TV drama. Wouldn't you say, Mom? I, I would say, <laughs> let me say this. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. To me, it also seemed that the uh, acting class seemed to me like a, a um, microcosm of Hollywood. Yes. In general. Yes. In that a lot of it is phony. Um, you don't know what's real, what's sincere, what's uh, who likes you, who doesn't like you, who's blowing smoke up your ass. I mean, I just think it's like Hollywood. Must be. Can I tell a little story? Sure. Um, as you know, I did improv for a long time. 
And yes, um, part of the process of doing improv is uh, that you have to just shell out hundreds and hundreds of dollars on these classes before you're, <laughs> you're considered <laughs> in the league. Um, and I had gone through all the classes and I had a team that I had put together and we were, in my opinion, quite good. Um, and then there was an audition day to become part of a house team for the improv theater where we studied. Uh, everybody from all the classes that it came in, you know, it was some 50-odd people. And we started out the day with with blasting music and jumping up and down and getting our energy up. And yay, hooray for improv. We're all in this together. Yay, yay, yay. And, you know, not that's not really me, uh, as you as you may know, but I got into it. I was just like, okay, this is the, I embraced it. Yes, we love everyone. Hooray. So then they had you come up two by two in front of everybody else and perform like a three or four minute improvised scene. I was one of the last guys to go and I got paired with just the worst fella from our, uh, from the class that we were in just, you know, not that I'm God's gift, but he was like um, Steve Carell on The Office, like this type of you know improv <laughs> partner, right? Yeah. Michael Scott. But I was just like, you know what? It's we're happy, we're loved. So when we went up there and everybody was cheering, I gave him a hug. You know, I just sort of put my arm around him and and grabbed him, and he sort of hugged me back. And as I later learned, I was pretty much done then. Like we went through, you know, we sort of muddled through the scene. It was not a great scene. I think on the basis of this audition, I did not to be, I did not deserve to be placed on a house team. But uh. what continues to burn me from um, that audition process is um, I gathered from the people, you know, the um, teachers who who gave the audition results uh, afterward. I got a phone call from one teacher, and he said, "Yeah, you seem like a real nice guy." Uh, you know, we loved how nice you were, et cetera, et cetera. And every message I got, every bit of feedback I got from that audition day started with that. And as I talked to people who I knew better and who knew me, it eventually became clear that they, everybody just thought that was so weird um, <laughs> that I yeah, hugged the not, guy. That's not done, right? Uh, whatever. And I was so pissed because I felt very dumb that I had bought into this notion of, hey, we're all in this together, yes. free love, yes. hooray, when really everybody in that room was out for themselves. Everybody right. in that room was thinking, you know, if I have to spit on you, step on you, stab you yeah. in the back, I will do it to get to this, this scene. Yeah. to get this yeah. gig. It still makes me bitter that they that they set up this fakey environment and i think of it sometimes when i'm watching barry to bring it back to the topic um because you have this environment in which people are exploring themselves discovering themselves as artists but also quite often the naked ambition and sort of backbiting underlying it all comes through right. and um I think that Bill Hader, having experienced all that for himself, having experienced the world that I'm talking about for himself, has really used that as an engine of comedy in this show. Mm. And I really like that. Certainly, everything that we watch and everything we review, when, when you look at it from uh, a different perspective, it can take on different meaning and become uh, more poignant or 
or yes. less even sometimes. So True. Um, to me, as I look at the Hollywood part of it, the, the acting class part of it, you, you can see that these people are not a teamwork. You know, they're all, right. they all are parasites off each other. Right, right. There's a scene in the second episode of this season uh, in which Sally, uh, Bill Hader's sort of on again, off again, love love interest in the show. Um, Sally Reed, played by Sarah Goldberg, has to leave early, can't participate in an exercise because she has to go see her agent. And they've put together a reel of of parts that she's done and just the resentment in the room. Um, when she's going to see her agent, because everybody in that room desperately wants their own agent, right, right. is so naked. I love, uh, I mean, maybe, again, because I'm familiar with the dynamic, but I just think they captured that dynamic of grudging respect and emphasis on the grudging in that scene. Right, right. I, I think that came through so clear. I mean, I really did get it. Uh, it's interesting to me, also, and this is this is why I'm a little wary, but um, it's also written with Alec Berg, yes, who did Silicon Valley, which seemed so bright and different and new, and then it just kind of turned into, yeah. oh, what? So, I'm I'm a little leery of where this is going. It's we we have the. Uh, scenario established, but I just don't see where this is going or could go. That is a criticism I've heard as the second season gets underway, that the second season feels much like the first season. Yeah, and that's what I'm afraid of. Is this another Lost? I don't know, you know? (laughs) You always say that. Not everything's another Lost, Mom. But I think the Silicon Valley comparison is apt. You know, a lot of people still love that show, and that's great. I like you have grown tired of it just because I think it got too um it got too frat boyish for me and um it doesn't make as much sense as it used to. It just became less yeah. grounded and um kind of aimless in my opinion. Yeah. Which I I understand how easily that can happen to a show, but you know in this day and age you know, back in the day when television was new, people thought throwing a pie in someone's face was absolutely <laughs> over-the-top hilarious. Yeah. We're a little more sophisticated now, yeah. and I expect more from my... Well, I really don't expect more from the networks, but I do expect more from HBO. You ex- Absolutely right. You expect this. This is not Sanford and Son, where we're just coming back to the reset <laughs> every day, right? Every right. week, yeah. I mean. It's you expect some advancement, some development. By the way, my apologies to Sanford and Son. A perfectly fine sitcom for its era. I don't know why I, that was the whipping boy there. In any case, you want some advancement. And I think we're seeing it a little bit in the second season as uh, like I think that Sally's story in this second episode was really fascinating how she's getting these parts. But when she looked at them, they're all, in her words, weak women. And right, she has this women, right. she has this moment in the class where she starts to question, am I getting these parts because I come off as as weak and not the self-assured woman that I thought I was? Now, that to me was pretty powerful development of Sally. At the same time, 
I can see how it feels like Barry is treading water a little bit. Yes, he's trying to escape the world of uh, hitmen and organized crime, but he hasn't escaped it, and he seems to have a new assignment every week. Right. So we'll see. I'm. I understand the the trepidation there. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not willing to go all in on this just yet. Yep. And and that's that's a really long stretch. You know, I watched a whole first season, and I feel like I'm not tuning in to see what happens with Sally. I'm interested right. in, in in Bill's character, and I don't want to see him become a leaf in the wind. I I want I yes. want some meat. Well put. Well put. We'll see if we'll see if um, they deliver on that. I will say I think Bill Hader's performance as Barry is spectacular. We know he can be peculiar and funny, which he certainly is at times in this. But he's really an agonized character too, and I think Hader really? plays it all quite well. Yeah, yeah. Although I wouldn't be unhappy to see Stefan come in once <laughs> or twice. <laughs> yeah now that would be a different show stefan from the weekend update if in right. case people don't know yeah um character bill Hader used to play that's great yeah stefan the hitman now that's a show mom you should get in touch with bill and pitch that to oh you know i really should i wish i had a connection because wow you know if because if this turns out to be like a flashback you see, that's what I'm afraid of, because they keep showing the war thing. I'm afraid this oh. is going to be him in a mental hospital. None of this is real. Oh, wow. That's quite it's like a St. Elsewhere type ending you've uh, whipped up here for yes. Barry. Yes, um, that's right. It would be like if my life was seen through the eyes of the frog. <laughs> that right. we have. Yeah, well, you've got to explain that. Jenna got a frog when when Johnny was in Washington at the National Spelling Bee. We went to the Smithsonian, I guess, and went to the gift shop, and Jenna got herself a frog. So what grade was she in? Let's see. Um, I was in the National Spelling Bee in eighth grade, um, so she would have been in fourth. Okay. And now she's 76, and we still have this frog. No, she's not that old. She's. Uh, let me see. The spelling bee was 1995, so it, this is 24 years later in any case. And this frog has lived, for a long time it lived in our bathroom, and now it lives in our living room, and it doesn't do anything but request food. Yeah, yeah. And so and that would be an interesting us. show that if it watched our household for 24 years. <laughs> the frog's story. That's a show, too. My, you got to get out there for pilot season this year. Wow. I do. I do. Let's call in all your connections. Yeah. Um, you should call Nathan Fielder, your buddy. I'm sure he knows Bill friend, Hader. Yeah. My good friend. I do love Nathan. Uh, who who would want an aquatic frog, though? I really have tried to give this thing away. But anyway, I digress. That's what I'm afraid of, that this is, this is we haven't seen that trick used for quite some time, and I'm afraid that's what this will be. I, well, I don't know. I think that's a pretty long shot. I think this is a more grounded series than that. As silly as characters like Noho Hank may be, 
I think it's too grounded for that. I think it's grounded okay. in this fear of acting. I think that the structure of the show is actually quite clever in that the farcical over the top elements, the wackier bits, uh, tend to take place in the area of the murdering, right? The organized right. crime world is where we see more of the eccentricities, again, right. embodied by this character, Noho Hank. And then the acting part of the show is more real and there are amusing characters and Henry Winkler as the teacher um, is certainly entertaining and amusingly self-involved but that all feels pretty real to me like this feels yeah. like a pretty real acting class to me Ugh. yeah well it's a tough road okay, to hope yeah I know well whatever um but I think there's a lot of potential here if they're not going to pull a, a dirty trick like that. Okay. And if the second uh, season develops a little differently than the first is what we're looking for, right? That's right. I think we, we have Bill Hader's character down pat now. Yeah. And it's time to, like you said, move him forward a little bit to yes. something different. I think my favorite moments of the series, if I can just get this in before we finish up, are, uh, and these are the climactic moments of the series, are when um, Barry performs. And I put air quotes around performs because the show again and again finds a way for his emotional turmoil combined with his total lack of acting talent. We probably should have established that, but Barry yeah. cannot act at all. He's terrible. And yet, it, the way the story is configured, it comes around so that he impresses his teacher and the fellow students in the class as this method performer. Right? When he's really just telling his story. When he's really just telling his story, um, they think it's a performance, but it's real. And when he's um, dealing with actual uh, PTSD, again, it comes off as as a performance. I'm not really doing it brilliant. justice. You kind of have to watch to see how they do this, but uh, I think it's brilliant. I just said brilliant. Oh, I think it's um, marvelous. Ugh, that? That's not a good word. Oh, I think it's splendid. Yeah, I don't know. I took the best word. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. <clears throat> just very briefly, if you would, how do you find this very different from Fargo as a dark comedy? Uh, like I said before, I think Fargo is much more complex and it is much more of an ensemble affair and um, it's just much more thematically rich. Barry is Barry is a story about this person, this peculiar person and uh, the two um, odd worlds that he inhabits. But Fargo is a sprawling commentary on uh, culture and on truth uh, and on human nature. Human I just nature, think yeah. it's a it's a much grander enterprise. Fargo is okay. All right, that is uh, noted. Okay, what's your grade for Barry, Mom? Um, I gave it a B minus. Oh, it couldn't even merit a straight B. No, no, because I would have if they had moved Barry, you know, added a little something to his repertoire. But, uh, you know, that's how it has to stand. Okay. Sorry, Barry. Plus, I have to tell you, I didn't know that this was the show we were going to watch. 
So when I was prepping for this, I watched a movie called Barry, which is about, <laughs> which is about Barack Obama in college, where he's sort of a jerk, some nonsense. So uh, by the time I got to this Barry, uh, I had used up a whole sheet of paper. So yeah, yeah, I got a text message from mom about a week ago that said, "Oh my God, I do not know how we were going how we are going to talk about this movie." And I just texted back, what movie? So, That's when I realized I had watched the wrong thing. Yeah, sorry about that. Although I think I did tell you it was on HBO and that it was a you TV did. series. You so, did. Yeah. But so was this movie. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. How funny. Well, what are you going to yeah, do? Hilarious. Yeah. Uh, so what's your grade for Barry, the movie? Okay. Well, I haven't seen it, so I can't speak to it. What's Don't your, bother. What's your recommendation this week, Mom? My recommendation is, now, and I'm sorry I don't know what channel this is on, but it's a show called Kim's Convenience. Kim's Convenience. Okay, I'm going to look it up right now. Okay. It's on Netflix, it looks like. It's on Netflix. It is about a Korean family that has a small grocery store, the father is very traditional, not not very traditional. He's uh, traditional in a funny sense in how they have acclimated to the United States. And um, it's just a very easy, amusing show to watch. We enjoy it very much. Uh, it looks like it originates from CBC in Canada. Maybe that's why it's so pleasant. All right. Are Canadians pleasant? Well, let's don't alienate anyone. All right. Let's... I don't think it's alienating Canadians to say that they're generally pleasant. All right. Okay. That's Kim's Convenience. It is streaming on Netflix. Uh, you can also buy episodes on Amazon Prime, apparently. Oh, don't buy it. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm glad we got the Barry story in. The, the wrong way, Barry. Yes. Don't watch the movie. Watch the show. <laughs> Hey, that'll do it for this week's edition of Pop Mom. Mom and I will be back next. Oh, no, we'll be back in two weeks. We're off next week because I am traveling. So we will be back in two weeks. Brief break here. But when we're back, we're going to talk about more pop culture. The question is, what are we going to talk about? Well, I've consulted my Ouija board, and we will be talking about something interesting <laughs> so we will thanks for listening if you enjoy the show tell your friends we love you mom and i will talk to you again next week bye for now mom bye johnny i love you love you too